Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we discuss conspiracy theories in America, dove into Chicago politics with a deeply controversial alderman, and learned how pellet stoves are choking southern states. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on a spooky Lumpen Week in Review for October 29, 2020. The boys from I-94 chatted with Taya Krulos, author of American Madness, Krulos discussed how conspiracy theories have poisoned the American Bali politic, why QAnon resembles a cult, and says Alex Jones may be the most dangerous man in America. I-94, Lumpen's Books and Literature show, airs every Thursday and Sunday at 11 a.m. So your new book uh, is about conspiracy theories in the United States and in the world in general, but it, it takes us through the lens of one man, Richard McCaslin. From there, you kind of take us through a tour of American psychogeography as seen uh, kind of in the fever dreams of what appears to be the far right. And I kind of wanted to start there because we are in a moment in time where we have a president who traffics openly in conspiracy theories. And in fact, there is a conspiracy theory going on right now before the election that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is being used to uh, dehumanize Americans and suppress votes and and eject... um, Trump from office. Yeah. Uh, well, this certainly is a sort of renaissance period of conspiracy theory, I think. Um, and I mean, I think at the base of it, a lot of conspiracy comes from fear and anger and trauma. So when you have a pandemic on top of mass civil unrest, on top of uh, a very shady election, um, it leads to all sorts of conspiracy thinking. So we've really been hit with a tidal wave by it. Um, I think that one of the amazing things about Trump is that previously conspiracy theories were always sort of against presidents, whether they were a Democrat or a Republican. But uh, Trump's the only one who's had like pro-conspiracies about him, like QAnon, uh, suggesting that he's sort of the savior that's going to save us from this deep state that has been existing um, throughout our history. So I think that he's really able to uh, know that he can play that up and get people sort of riled up. Um, And he loves to entertain conspiracies. I think that he probably believes some of them are true in his gut, which is as good as fact to him. Uh, But he also knows how they can be wielded as a, a weapon against his opponents and to sort of rally his base around him. One of the things that's happened is it's really hard to distinguish between uh, what people are calling fake news and actual fake news. Um, A lot of these media outlets have done a good job in presenting themselves as a legit news source. So if you're not familiar with one of these sites and you see an alarming headline and it's presented in a somewhat professional way, um, you're going to think that this is coming from a legitimate news source. Or I guess maybe you don't really care and it just feeds into your confirmation bias and you you go along with that as being actual news. So it's I don't think it's ever been more of a hard time to figure out what is a legitimate news source, what's something from the far right or a Russian troll farm. Um, so it's very difficult sometimes. Uh, yeah, and I mean a really important thing here too is that uh, the person 
who promotes this the most is Trump. He's constantly retweeting uh, Breitbart and Daily Caller. He's retweeted Epoch Times before. Um, so, you know, when you see the president of the United States retweeting this stuff as legitimate news, um, a lot of people, of course, are going to take that seriously because they view him as uh, not only an authoritative figure, but, you know, like the top authority figure. So he's done more to spread that than, than anyone. Well, before we get into, because I want to get into the individual case of Richard McCaslin, but before we get into that, you know, when you said when you said the word, the phrase confirmation bias, it made me think the, of the parts in your book where the flat earthers specifically, where experiments are conducted to prove whether or not there's curvature uh, in space and and the experiments go against the flat earth theory and they they, they still yeah. adhere to the to to their theory so a lot of this it credible source or not it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean there was another number yeah. in there like I, I don't know how they did this poll but the, the number was 12 and a half million people believe in reptilians and that yeah. they've inf infiltrated the united states government you know that it's not uh it doesn't matter if it's going to show up in the New York Times or not. These people believe it. They want to believe it. Well, they're not reading the New and, York and Times. That's <laughs> the problem. <laughs> right, and they're not going to because, you know, the New York Times is part of the deep state or whatever. Um, and uh, a lot of this just – a lot of it comes out of mass confusion and t a tonnage, tonnage upon tonnage of information and not having the tools to um, dissect it and analyze it. I mean, are there – from what you've, from your research, the people you've come across, are, are, are tools to, to analyze information even part of the issue, or is it more just like uh, national mental illness? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's kind of the appeal of it is they think they're part of this elite group that has seen the, the truth, you know, they've been red-pilled, as they say, and uh, it's sort of, you know, they, they think they're part of this uh, social movement that's um, you know, the few people that are standing away from the sheep. Uh, it's very frustrating to try to talk to people like this because there's not nothing you can really show them. You know, you can show them scientific reports or photographs of the earth or, you know, video, all sorts of evidence. And there's nothing that they won't say that is a fake or a deep fake or some sort of hoax. So, I mean, how do you even argue with someone like that? Well, in my personal life, them. ignoring them has been the the, the best <laughs> method possible. But yeah. how do you do that with the president of the United States and right. Twitter and all that stuff? You know, it, 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 it's yeah. frustrating to read about. Yes. Well, let me just before we again, and we do want to also play some stuff from your new book, T, but um, – one of the things that I think you, you make a really salient point on, especially when you're talking about QAnon, is that some of this has the overtones of religion. And a lot of the conspiracy theories actually come out of religious practice and religious belief. Um, you know, one of the most notorious fakes, of course, is the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is an anti-Semitic tract that was produced in Russia for both political and religious gains. Henry Ford was a proponent of that, correct? He certainly yeah, was, yeah. Yes. Can you talk a little bit, T, about, you know, the kind of, because it strikes me that, you know, one of the things you're getting at in your book is that people are so invested in these cons because it is, it's, it's no longer whether it's true or false, it's a matter of faith and belief. 
Yeah. Yeah, and QAnon is a great example of that. I mean, I would definitely say that they qualify as a cult. They have a cult leader who is Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, sort of the the uh, go-between between Trump and the group is this mysterious character who doesn't exist called Q. And uh, they um, they have given up. I've read lots of articles about people who they sort of leave their relationships, leave their families behind because uh, they get too frustrated that their friends and family can't see the truth. So, you know, their new support network or, or family is fellow QAnon members. And they stick to these beliefs no matter how well they're disproven, you know. Um, there's been ma many failed predictions from Q about this coming storm where all the Democrats are going to be rounded up and arrested. And that, of course, has never happened. But, uh, you know, I thought Q might, uh, QAnon might sort of lurk in a dark corner of the Internet. But that's not what's been happening. They've been growing. They have uh, at least one candidate who uh, is running for the House this year who's going to get in, most wow. definitely. And uh, other candidates around the country. And uh, they have their own super PAC called Disarm the Deep State. So wow. they've, really, they've really grown into sort of a cult slash uh, fringe political movement. Richard calls his work art therapy. Cornerpoint and psychologists said he was delusional. In their psychological profile of Richard, the Secret Service reported that his psycho-environmental stressors were rated as severe and listed his psychological abuse by his father, poor self-image, shyness, awkwardness towards women, unhappiness with his time in the Marines, lack of satisfying employment, the death of his parents, his unsuccessful reconnaissance foray into the Bohemian Grove, and his failure to establish a mutually satisfying personal relationship with a country singer on whom he had a crush, as well as his legal difficulties as impacting his mental state. The Secret Service psychologist lists in his report insight on the Phantom Patriot and the Bohemian Grove Raid. Having grown up with an over-controlling and physically abusive father, it is perhaps not particularly surprising that Mr. McCaslin should want to come to rescue or otherwise intervene on the case of children whom he saw as enslaved or physically abused by those who are older or more powerful than they are. This seems to have made him, then, particularly vulnerable to the message of radio commentator Alex Jones about the Bohemian Grove and the supposed videotaping of child sacrifice and child slavery rituals at that location. The psychologist also notes that the Phantom Patriot and other superhero personas might have derived from Richard's shyness and feelings of inadequacy with women. Mr. McCaslin's report of going into the darkness of night with his skeleton mask and the garb of the Phantom Patriot is reminiscent of schoolboy rescue fantasies for young damsels whom he felt too shy to approach, but with whom he was utterly fascinated, the report notes. The report indicates that the psychologist did not feel Richard was an excessively violent individual and noted he had been able to channel his energy into the things like high school football and joining the Marines, but didn't eliminate him as a potential threat. While Mr. McCaslin does not single out President Bush as being even a leader at this preconceived evil band at the Bohemian Grove, the Secret Service psychologist noted, and someone at the Secret Service reading the report highlighted the rest of the sentence, he is quite clear that he would kill anyone, including President Bush, if he were to verify his suspicions that President Bush, or anyone else, is actively involved with the enslavement or murder of children.
Chuck Mertz chatted with Danielle Purifoy about the shift to wood pellet stoves in Europe. The seemingly cheap and inexhaustible fuel has in fact led to deep economic despair in Alabama and Mississippi. Why are giant pellet factories being erected in the poorest neighborhoods? Find out on This Is Hell every Sunday at 10 a.m. As the wood pellet industry grows across the South, and Viva targets Alabama and Mississippi for a future expansion. Welcome to This Is Hell, Danielle. Thank you, Chuck. It's good to be here. Well, Chuck, uh, what I'll say is that from um, from my reporting, it doesn't seem like it's much of an alternative at all. Um, I think all of this really started back in 2009 um, when the EU, um, which then included the UK, um, the United Kingdom, um, really set some uh, target goals for 2020. So they were, uh, first of all, to reduce um, their um, greenhouse gas emissions by 20% from 1990 levels by 2020, and then increase by 20% um, their uh, uh, use, use of renewable energy um, uh, by 2020. And um, around that time, uh, you know, in 2009, the wood pellet industry was really um, kind of a pretty small industry. Um, you know, people have been using wood pellets for home fuel uh, forever, right? Just like they use, um, you know, wood in your fireplace. Um, uh, but um, it had not really ever reached this kind of scale of being used as a utility. And from my understanding, I, I spoke with um, Kenneth Richter, who is a um, Germany-based um, uh, environmental consultant uh, for the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, for those who are more familiar with the acronym. And what he said, um, I asked precisely this question, kind of how did this happen? And he said that around that time, um, the EU was really scrambling to figure out how they were going to meet this really stringent target by 2020. And the Scandinavian countries um, really, you know, had been using wood pellets for a very long time and decided um, on that as one part of their feedstock. I think this is just one part of the story that I've heard. Um, and um, the very least, how they were doing the carbon accounting, which I can go into a bit later, um, made it so that it appeared, right, that they um, were, you know, on their way to meeting those targets. Um, but, you know, the rest of the EU and uh, the UK had not, didn't have that kind of resource, that kind of forced resource. And so they started, um, yeah, targeting the Southeast United States in particular, Canada, um, some other Vietnam um, at this point sort of expanded um, to import wood pellets um, in order to meet that goal. Um, and my also my understanding was that the science um, around um, how wood pellets fared in comparison to coal wasn't very um, wasn't very strong yet. Um, so uh, in the kind of ensuing right 10, 11 years, we've seen um, the science increasingly um, show us that uh, wood pellets, um, at least at the point of combustion, uh, produce more carbon um, emissions than coal, even though they um, essentially uh, produce uh, less energy per unit than coal. And then there are a whole host of other um, climate uh, altering issues about uh, connected to deforestation and transport and the actual um, manufacturing of the wood pellets themselves. 
So you write, even if the EU has met its 2020 climate goals, the region claims to have already reduced emissions by 23.2% in 2018, the use of wood pellets raises important questions about the EU's carbon accounting and even more questions about public health and climate consequences for the U.S. South, which is already bearing the brunt of climate change effects. So is Europe fixing their climate by hurting Hours because I don't think that's how the climate works. It doesn't know borders. I don't, this is so confusing to me. Is Europe simply, uh, in order to meet their climate change regulations and their requirements and their standards, are they hurting our environment? Are they undermining the efforts to fight any, any efforts to fight climate change here in the United States? I would say yes. And I think, um, part of, um, I think, you know, I can't speculate on the EU's um, calculation with regard to the United States. I think that um, it's really an example of how, um, yeah, atomized and kind of individualistic, right? Some of these efforts have become around climate change where you think that um, importing a renewable or purportedly renewable fuel from someplace else uh, or deforesting um, that place somehow um, helps uh, helps your your region right of the world in the long run when we live on the same planet um, I think some part of this had to do with this uh, carbon accounting um, issue that I think is um, challenging so this idea that um, that you know, so long as a place like the United States is accounting for um, the carbon storage loss, right, from deforestation and sort of keeping up metrics on their end, um, and the EU is sort of keeping up metrics on their end, then we have some sort of net benefit. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that's the way the not not only the way the science works, but it doesn't make a whole lot of um, common sense either. So for one, um, what ends up happening uh, in the EU, um, in the UK, is that um, there's this disconnect between the um, land use change policies. So what happens when, for instance, forests are cut down and their energy policies. Um, so the idea is that, you know, they cut down, let's say they're cutting down their own forests. Um, they cut down their forests and they say, oh, well, we've accounted for the carbon storage loss from deforestation. Um, so we don't need to count um, the carbon or greenhouse gas emissions uh, when we actually burn these same trees uh, for fuel, right? Um, that's a problem because um, as Kenneth Richter told me, um, you know, there's a there's a, a a threshold that you have to meet in order to even start counting um, carbon for the forest that you cut down. Um, so you're not even really doing a full accounting when you're doing land use change um, accounting for for um, greenhouse gases or carbon um, storage. Um, but the bigger issue is that when you import, uh, when, you know, several European nations import wood pellets from other countries, um, there is no land use change in the EU, right, <laughs> because they're importing the, um, the pellets from the south, right, the, the southeast United States. So there's actually no carbon counting at all when they actually burn those, those imported wood pellets. Um, and so there's just a ton of um, emissions that we're missing out on counting. 
Um, so I have, you know, some some fundamental questions about um, what that means for the EU's claim that they've already met um, their climate targets for 2020. Um, uh, exactly how much right has been emitted, and I, I don't think that we have a really good sense of the answer to that question. <laughs> Hey, Kyle. Thanks for coming by. I um, I needed to talk to you about my new job and the radio show. New job? Wait, wait a second here. New job? What you gonna be doing? What's well, pretty cool? I'm gonna be reviewing some maps and plans for some guys that I know. It's like um, like building blueprints, mostly like banks. You gonna have those pens with got the chain on it? I sell those under Viaduct. I'll let you know, but the thing is, I'm going to be working a lot of afternoons and nights, yeah. so I'm not going to be able to record but, as many shows. But you're my biographer. How are we going to tell the story of my life? I'm sorry, Kyle. I, I'm just not going to be able to hop a train with you in the middle of the night anymore. I, I have responsibilities. But what about the curse, Jess? You're too young. The what? The curse of size matters. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, jeez. Kyle, you're making this up. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, Jess, you're not the first producer that this show has ever had. I know that. I took over from John. John wasn't my first producer either. Size Matters has had seven producers before you. Seven? Sometimes I lay awake at night and I see little Robbie's face just before... Oh, Jess, it's too painful, Dagger. Uh, the curse is real. I'm begging you, don't do this. I don't know. This sounds suspiciously like some of your old-timey oh, hokum. Oh, jeez. John seemed fine when we saw him, like, two weeks ago. Oh, poor, oh, poor sweet John. Always had my back. Always ready to shave my back. We need to check on him, Jess. Well, if it would put your mind at ease, he lives right around the corner. We can just go see him. Come on. Whoa, this is John's place. Yikes, it looks condemned. I thought he had one of them swanky bachelor pads at that rotating hot tub and fondue thing. He did. Are you sure this is the right address? Yeah, this is South Aberdeen. Funny, this is the only house left here now. A lot of vacant lots. Yeah, and roving packs of wild dogs. And tire fires. Johnny, it's Kyle, your pal Kyle. Johnny! Uh, I guess he's, uh... Oh, door's open. Should we just go in? Oh, what is that ah. smell? Smells like a dump took a dump on another dump. Oh. What's Johnny been eating? <laughs> Look at all this garbage. Are you sure this house isn't abandoned? Oh, Kyle, over here. I think... Oh, John, are you all right? I don't know who the flock you are, but get the flock out. I think he's drunk on giggly juice. Is that Kyle? <laughs> you son of John, a bitch. John, come down. Give me that hand. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. John, settle down. We just came by to see you. What the hell happened here? Ouch. What happened? What happened? Calm down, I lost everything. And it's all Kyle's fault here. How? You still got that flashback noise? Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, boy. I had just handed off size matters to Jess. For the first time in years, I felt a huge weight off of my shoulders. No more 
creepy request to supervise bathing. No more late night calls from Eddie asking me to get Kyle out of the basement. I had a new job, I had a new life. Everything was coming up Petrowski. But then, disaster struck. As I was coming home one night, a giant sewer main exploded, destroying most of the houses on my block and leveling my yard. Overnight, I went from being a friendly neighbor to being an outcast, and all because Kyle rerouted Undertown's waste pipes in a scheme to collect burp gas. Oh yeah, I, uh, I was involved in that. That stench permeated everything. That smell, it's in me. I went from being able to show my face at an office to being a rag boy at the Admiral. Are you drinking gasoline? Yeah, it messes your stomach up a bit, but it gives you a good buzz. Oh, John, this is awful. Being a rag boy is worse than leprosy. <laughs> You're telling me I lost everything thanks to you. Kyle, we gotta Great. do something. Just like that, I'm out of gas. It's the curse, I tell you, as it claims everyone. It's, Don't even worry that's about me. That's nonsense. All we have to do is get you cleaned up and back to work. <laughs> you don't understand. That smell, man, it's everywhere. That smell's never going there. I, I, I am the smell, man. I am stink. Hold on, I got <laughs> an idea here. Almost certain we're not supposed to put people through a car wash. Yeah, it's a good thing Johnny's drunk, or this might probably definitely hurt him. Well, you smell better. Yeah, he does. Freshly simonized. Now, Johnny, here, yeah, I got some clothes for you. Try these on. This is a pirate flouncy shirt, and and this is a this is a bra. Did you, Kyle? Did you steal this from the co-pro? Nah, it's a trick. As they moved out, but I broke into the house and I took a bunch of stuff. And I got you an interview. It's with some old work buddies of mine. It's in radio. Well, yeah, it's in communications. You'll be using a radio. Sure. Uh, it's kind of like a like a surveillance thing. They'll they'll explain it when you get there. Gee, Jess, I can't thank you enough and and Kyle, I'm sorry I misjudged uh, you. It happens to the best of us, Johnny. You know, I, I really do feel like I can get a fresh start. Yes, I'm gonna get on yeah. this bus. Oh, oh hey, and John. I'm going uh, to bus go stops up at the corner. Just get this be job. careful. <laughs> this is the Speak. first uh, time. Hey, Johnny, you gotta get out of the traffic I'm there, so buddy. Well, yeah, really, stuff. you guys are the best friends a guy. Can oh! oh! Yikes! Well, on the bright side, he's moving a little. Curse, huh? Indeed, the curse. Well, I'll see you next week, Kyle. That's my girl. <laughs> this week on the Trump Diaries, Russia has hacked local election networks. Barrett has confirmed to the Supreme Court, tilting it hard right. McConnell leaves D.C. without work on pandemic relief. Trump tries to enlist department store Santas. Kushner claims blacks don't care about success. And we're less than a week from the election. Is this the end of the Trump Diaries? Well, these are the Trump Diaries. Day 1373, October 23rd. Biden and Trump clashed in the final debate of the year, a calmer affair, but one that was unlikely to change many minds. Trump struggled to defend his response to the pandemic, falsely claiming surges were happening in Democrat-run states, while making a number of references to right-wing internet outrages that seemed to go over the heads of both Biden and the audience. 
787,000 workers filed new unemployment claims last week, the lowest level since March, but still a massive number. 24 million Americans are now potentially out of work. Intelligence services say Russia has penetrated state and local computer networks. Those breaches could affect American voting infrastructure. The CIA believes that Russia plans to interfere in the presidential race in its final days, potentially by encouraging disputes around the results, especially if the race is too close to call. The CIA says the efforts are to aid Trump. The Senate Judiciary Committee voted to advance Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, with Republicans skirting the panel's own rules to recommend her confirmation as Democrats boycotted it. The lopsided 12 to nothing outcome set up a vote by the full Senate to confirm her on Monday. The Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, accused Iran of sending fake and menacing emails to voters, claiming it was to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and strangely damage President Trump. In fact, the emails seemed designed to damage Joe Biden. Ratcliffe was referring to emails sent to Democratic voters, purportedly from pro-Trump far-right groups, including the Proud Boys. Trump reportedly plans to immediately fire FBI Director Christopher Wray, CIA Director Gina Haspel, and Defense Secretary Mark Esper if he wins re-election. Trump is upset with Haspel and Wray because they will not announce investigations into Joe and Hunter Biden. Trump posted an unedited 38-minute video of a 60 Minutes interview that he abruptly walked out of, claiming the video revealed, quote, bias, hatred, and rudeness on the part of correspondent Leslie Stahl. Stahl in the video can be seen challenging Vice President Mike Pence for offering campaign talking points in response to her questions. Quote, this was not a rally. This was supposed to be an interview and the same with the president. And Trump faces payment deadlines for more than $400 million in loans on his Chicago hotel, his D.C. hotel, and his Doral Resort. It is not entirely clear who he owes that money to. National security experts say Trump's debts to Deutsche Bank and some foreign deals may constitute national security risks. Hyatt hotels have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. Brand analysts have noted that Trump's finances were leveraged under personal guarantees, but that his personal brand has emerged as perhaps irregularly tarnished. Day 1,374, October 24th. A new study says that more than 500,000 Americans could be dead from COVID-19 by February. That is more than all the lives lost by the United States in World War II. Joe Biden warned that America was headed for a dark winter with no vaccine expected to be available for most Americans until the middle of next year. Trump, meanwhile, declared instead that America is rounding the corner and that the pandemic will soon be gone. Trump almost took responsibility for his administration's failure on COVID-19, saying, quote, I take full responsibility, but then followed that immediately by, quote, it's not my fault that it came here. Trump said Americans were learning to live with COVID-19, to which Biden replied, we're learning to die with it. Seattle, Portland, and New York City have sued Trump over his threats to withhold federal funds from so-called anarchist jurisdictions. The cities argue that Trump's actions violate Congress's power to dictate how federal funds are spent and states and localities' authority to police and provide public safety as they see fit. Billions of dollars in federal funding is at stake. The move is widely seen as retaliation. All three cities have seen extensive anti-Trump rallies and protests. And a member of the Boogaloo Boys was arrested and charged with opening fire in Minneapolis on police with an AK-47 style gun while screaming justice for Floyd as he ran away during the protest following the May 25th killing of George Floyd. The Boogaloo Boys are a far-right anti-government extremist movement. White supremacists and far-right extremists are responsible for 67% of all domestic terror attacks and plots this year. 
half of that violence targeted peaceful protesters, and it is known that right-wing forces infiltrated many peaceful protests this summer. Day 1375, October 25th. Trump pressured the CDC to support the use of hotels to hold migrant children before deporting them. A federal judge nixed that, noting there are in fact licensed shelters overseen by the Department of Health and Human Services, and CDC officials refused to affirm a declaration from Health and Human Services that detaining migrant children in hotels was the best move to protect them from COVID-19. Meanwhile, Trump's campaign director asserted that the reason 545 migrant children have not been reunited with their families when they were separated from that the border is, quote, the parents do not want their children returned. Trump then claimed the separated children were in facilities that were, quote, so clean and were well taken care of. Jared Kushner used racist tropes, claiming black Americans are complaining about inequality and racism in the country and simply don't want success enough. Kushner referred to the, quote, George Floyd situation and claimed a lot of people were more concerned with virtue signaling than in coming up with solutions. They'd go on Instagram and cry, or they would put a slogan on their jersey or write something on a basketball court. Quite frankly, that was doing more to polarize the country than it was to bring people forward. Kushner's breathtaking callousness was later attempted to be walked back by White House spokesperson Kaylee McEnany, who falsely claimed that Kushner's remarks were taken out of context. She then accused unnamed internet trolls for trying to distract from Trump's undeniable record of accomplishment for the black community. Trump privately told Republican donors it will, quote, be very tough for Republicans to keep control of the Senate because, quote, I don't want to help some of the party's candidates. Trump reportedly mentioned a couple of senators he couldn't get involved with. It is unclear who those senators are. And the White House wanted Santa Claus performers to promote the benefits of a COVID-19 vaccination and in exchange offered them early vaccine access ahead of the general public. The offer made by the ousted Michael Caputo to the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas would have reportedly cost $250 million. Caputo was forced out after he claimed the FDA was part of a deep state seeking to topple Trump in a coup in an unhinged and bizarre video posted to Facebook a couple months ago. Caputo's offer to the Santas was met with disbelief. Day 1376, October 26th. The pandemic continues to gain pace in the United States as we set two new unwanted records on the weekend. The Midwest is now the nation's hottest spot as Chicago, Oklahoma City, Minneapolis, Anchorage, and El Paso all set single-day records for new infections. Wisconsin is now the single hottest state in the union. The United States hit an all-time high in new cases two days in a row as the death toll surpassed 225,000. The previous high was set back in July. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb warned that the nation, quote, is at the cusp of what is going to be exponential spread in parts of the country. Dr. Anthony Fauci, in response, called for a universal national mask mandate, noting the cold weather will accelerate the spread of both COVID and the flu. Meanwhile, multiple members of Vice President Mike Pence's staff tested positive for COVID-19, shining a new and unwelcome light on a White House that has shunned masks. Several outlets reported the White House tried to keep the news from becoming public. Pence is to continue campaigning, also raising fresh questions about how seriously the administration is taking the pandemic and its risks. In an astonishing comment, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows admitted that Trump was not focusing on trying to control the pandemic. Trump falsely claimed again that coronavirus numbers are up because of an increase in testing. This is false. At a rally in North Carolina, Trump then complained about COVID, 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 and blamed the media for covering the virus. 
Trump has not attended a White House Coronavirus Task Force meeting in months and is not expected to do so before the election. Justice Amy Coney Barrett was elevated to the Supreme Court along partisan lines. Two Republicans, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine, voted against advancing the nominee. Susan Collins voted against her confirmation. All Democrats who voted were opposed. Barrett's confirmation will likely serve a conservative majority on the U.S. Supreme Court for the foreseeable future. She is the third justice confirmed by Trump. And Trump hosted a nighttime ceremony on the White House lawn to swear in Barrett. That is a virtual do-over of the super spreader event blamed for infecting multiple people with the coronavirus a month ago to the day, including Trump himself. Trump, Barrett, and others did not wear masks. Justice Clarence Thomas, who was on hand to swear in his new colleague, wore no mask either. None of the other justices attended. Day 1377, October 27th. The pandemic is now gathering force worldwide. Cities are starting to act as the scope of the pandemic becomes clear. El Paso, Texas imposed a two-week stay-at-home order and a 10 p.m. curfew. Newark, New Jersey closed all non-essential businesses. Utah, Kansas, and Idaho are now starting to ration hospital care, while Salt Lake City and Milwaukee were forced to open field hospitals. A study in Kansas shows that the areas in the state with mask mandates have had fewer than half the cases. A federal judge has ruled that Trump can be personally sued for defamation in connection with his denial while in office of a decades-old rape allegation. The judge rejected a Justice Department attempt to step into the case and defend Trump, meaning the lawsuit filed by the writer E. Jean Carroll can move forward. The Justice Department abruptly intervened on Trump's behalf, trying to use the Federal Tort Claims Act to shield Trump. The judge ruled against that maneuver, saying Trump was not acting in his official capacity when he denied the accusation. Trump and Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro are being blamed for Latin and South America's dismal response to COVID-19. Both presidents drove out 10,000 highly trained Cuban doctors and nurses, claiming it was a defense against communism. They also defunded the region's leading health agency and both wrongly pushed hydroxychloroquine as a cure. Trump and Bolsonaro bankrupted the Pan American Health Organization, or PAHO, citing its involvement with the Cuban medical program. The U.S. Postal Service argued in court that delivery delays during an election can't be unlawful because the Constitution doesn't guarantee states any level of service when it comes to mail-in ballots. In a related case, the Supreme Court ruled that mail-in ballots in Wisconsin could be counted only if they are received by Election Day. In a concurring opinion by Justice Brett Kavanaugh that raised eyebrows, he appeared to allege that ballots arriving after November 3rd could be riddled with fraudulent votes. The opinion itself was factually incorrect. Kavanaugh claimed that counting late-arriving ballots could, quote, flip the results. That actually misconstrues the entire voting process where official results were often not fully tabulated for days or even weeks after any election. Trump suggested he expected the Supreme Court to weigh in on his charges of election fraud. Quote, this scam will be before the Supreme Court. Day 1378, October 28th. The United States reported more than 74,000 new cases of coronavirus, pushing the country's daily average over the past week above 71,000. That is by far the most in any seven-day stretch of this pandemic. Nearly half a million people have contracted COVID-19 in the U.S. over the last seven days. Meanwhile, the White House's science office ranked, quote, ending the COVID-19 pandemic atop a list of Trump's top first-term accomplishments claiming that Trump's, quote, decisive actions engaged scientists and health professionals in academia, industry, and government to understand, treat, and defeat the disease. 
they claimed that he had, in fact, defeated the disease, and this is patently false. Also, Minnesota has reported three COVID-19 outbreaks related to Trump campaign events held there in September. Some 70 million votes have now been cast in the United States. That is half the complete total of the 2016 election, suggesting a massive wave of voting during this election. The chief of the U.S. Agency for Global Media rescinded a rule that protects news outlets funded from the government, including Voice of America, from federal tampering. That official, Michael Pack, defended the move as a way to improve management, but reports in a staff revolt suggest he is trying to turn Voice of America into a pro-Trump public relations arm. Pack claimed the firewall rule, which prevented him from providing editorial oversight for those outlets, quote, threatened constitutional values. The VOA, like the BBC, provides unbiased news to 350 million people around the world every week, many to societies that have no other access to unbiased information. Trump removed the chief scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and installed new political staff who questioned accepted facts about climate change. Eric Noble, a former policy advisor who had been appointed NOAA's chief of staff, removed Craig McLean. That was the acting chief scientist at the agency after McLean sent new political appointees a message that asked him to acknowledge the agency's scientific integrity policy. That policy states prohibiting manipulating research or presenting ideologically driven findings. Noble responded by sacking McLean. Trump is to open up more than half of Alaska's Tongass National Forest to logging and development. That opens up the biggest intact temperate rainforest and reverses protections that the Clinton administration put in place in 2001. In a related story, Trump is being supported by the hard-right Epoch Times, which recently ran a story with the headline, quote, Brazilians should cut down more of their rainforests. And the Trump Organization billed taxpayers for $2.5 million in charges stemming from Trump's 280 visits to his own properties over the last four years. Day 1379, October 29th. Trump reportedly had more than $270 million in debt forgiven after he defaulted on loans for a Chicago skyscraper. The Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago encountered problems. Banks cut Trump years of additional time to repay his debts and ultimately forgave the majority of it. Trump responded to that story by saying, quote, I was able to make an appropriately great deal with the numerous lenders on a large and very beautiful tower. Doesn't that make me a smart guy rather than a bad guy? And the Trump campaign is attempting to suppress voting in the crucial battleground state of Pennsylvania. A three-pronged strategy has filed suit to stop the counting of absentee votes before Election Day, pushed to limit how late mail-in ballots can be counted, and intimidated Pennsylvanians who are trying to vote early. The Trump campaign has also leaned on Republican allies controlling Pennsylvania's legislature to prevent election officials from bending their rules to accommodate a pandemic-driven avalanche of absentee ballots. Many other states have already bent their rules. The Trump campaign has also dispatched what they call observers to early voting sites. They have videotaped voters and sued election administrators in Philadelphia to stop people from delivering more than one ballot to a drop box. That effort has already drawn a rebuke from Pennsylvania's attorney general, who said the Trump campaign risked being charged with voter intimidation. The Supreme Court also refused an extraordinary request from Pennsylvania Republicans to halt a three-day extension of the deadline for receiving absentee ballots. In two rulings, the court allowed both Pennsylvania and North Carolina to accept absentee ballots for several days after Election Day. 30 people needed medical assistance after the Trump campaign stranded hundreds of supporters in the freezing cold for hours after a rally at an airfield in Omaha, Nebraska. Hundreds and hundreds of people who attended that rally were stranded on a dark, remote stretch of road near an airport, waiting for buses that did not arrive. They were unable to reach the site because of a clogged two-lane road. 
And Jared Kushner bragged to Bob Woodward that Trump had cut out the doctors and scientists advising him on the pandemic. Trump boasted that Trump had, quote, taken the country back from the doctors in a negotiated settlement and that the country was at the beginning of the comeback phase. In fact, people are dying at the rate of one every two minutes in the United States today. The former Homeland Security Chief of Staff, Miles Taylor, has outed himself as anonymous. He was the author of a 2018 New York Times op-ed that declared there was a resistance within the administration. He was also the author of A Warning, a book describing Trump as an undisciplined and immoral leader. That book was cruelly received by partisans on both sides. Trump is now averaging over 50 lies a day. Joe Biden continues to lead Trump by double digits in polling and is looking to expand the map by targeting Georgia and Texas. Biden also lead Trump's by 10 points in the Midwest. The election is Tuesday. These are the Trump Diaries. Ben Jarofsky chatted with controversial Alderman Ray Lopez about Mayor Lori Lightfoot's budget. Lopez, a constant critic of Lightfoot, assailed her moves and questioned if she can find the support she needs for deep cuts at City Hall. Benny J appears every Friday at noon. Ben, Raymond, welcome back to the show. Good evening. How are you? To you and um, your listeners. Well, I do share the sentiment that Chicago is can get up, that we're not down for the count just yet. Um, I'm glad she didn't reference MTV's celebrity death match as our <laughs> budget process, uh, which I think would probably be more apropos at this point. But, you know, I, I never lose faith in Chicago, and we're not out yet. Um, you know, 1930s, I think the only alderman around was Ed Burke for that reference, so I guess we'll just have to see what he has to say on it. Um, but, uh, yes, we're not down yet. Uh, what's your general reaction uh, to this section of her speech? Well, I think if we go in order, when she said that $262.2 million in fiscal management efficiencies can be made in 2021, my immediate question is, what happened to 2020's budget? How did we let over a quarter of a billion dollars in inefficiencies be passed in last year's budget, the one that we're in right now? And the fact that she's highlighting new parking meters, which everyone, I think, categorically can agree suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the mayor who said, you know, we're not going to nickel and dime and fee our way out of this. But now she wants enhanced enforcement to nickel and dime everybody in the neighborhoods. And <clears throat> those kind of things make me wonder what. What kind of doublespeak are we talking about here? The one thing I will agree on with her is that we do have a number of contracts that are old that cost us way more money than we need to spend. A perfect example that I've been harping on for the past two years is a little one, but it, it highlights this problem that we have in that, you know, the city of Chicago's fire department gives away free smoke detectors. We're all used to that program. But the contract for the smoke detector uh, giveaway that CFD uses charges the city more than double what a smoke detector costs at Home Depot today. So we're paying double simply because someone's wow. friend got a contract back in 1990 something or other. Um, and we're paying more for no other reason simply just because we've never questioned it. So I think that's a great start, but I don't think that we've squeezed the bloat out of this budget uh, anywhere near where we can do to make it more efficient for the taxpayers. <laughs> This week, we debut a new song by Chicago's own Wrong War, a neo-hardcore band. This is First Shot Misses, exclusively on Lumpin' Radio. It's what they want! Right! 
of reckoning. There's no doubt that uh, this is America's moment of reckoning. There's no doubt that uh, this is America's moment of reckoning. This is a uh, We realize that peep people, and this is something we've known for a while, but how we actually capitalize on this, it's been a, a matter of debate. Uh, a person will often see, scare themselves more than we really can expect to with robotics and, and media and, and things like that. Um, so what we need to do, and what we have done even more, is we analyze and we utilize what the person is thinking uh, in their own state of mind to be able to, to sort of, uh, through methods of suggestion, get them to think that their worst fears are nothing to compare to what's to come. Well, that is certainly an excellent way to uh, uh, put a sense of apprehension and dread in an individual. Do you have any? Do you have any examples, perhaps, of um, wh who are you testing this on? What? What? What's? Is this exclusively for uh, Tech Brothers employees that you've been testing well, this on? Employees, or? their families. Uh, we we get a. Uh, what we often find is that the things that scare adults are not the same things. Same things that scare children. Um, and we've been able to test these these effects on on children as young as two or three, um, and that's super fun uh, uh, sometimes to just just to see the variety there. Um, but but one example is uh, you, some people are very afraid of spiders, obviously. Yes. Um, and it's these, ignorant. It's um it's it's silly. Sure. But it's and, childish. Right. Um, it's disrespectful. But some people sure. are. Right. Well, what we do. It's is, embarrassing. Uh, I, I would, I could, I could agree, Rowan. Anyway, what we do is we, we take spiders. Obviously, spiders in any location. Unfortunately, although people are afraid of spiders, what we see is that people are more afraid thinking of and imagining all the different situations of spiders than actually interacting with spiders in any realistic way. Well, of course, if people sat down and had a interaction with a spider that was more than sur surface level, they might realize there's so much wisdom in those eight legs. Right. So what we do is we introduce the idea that the, I don't know, whether it's a pool of spiders or whether it's spiders coming out of a person's clothes or whatever truly terrifies them most, which we gain through things like surveys and analysis of how people act as they walk into the, to the horror laboratories. Um, and, and we take that information and we suggest to them that such a thing is, in fact, on the horizon, that it is coming, that this horrifying pool of spiders or whatever is, is just beyond the next corner. And what we do is, apprehensively, they will inevitably turn the corner. And what we show them is not the pool of spiders. We show them something that is incomprehensibly worse than the pool of spiders, we show them themselves as the pool of spiders. When we get into this technical mumbo jumbo, it's a, it's a little hard to convey, but you know, rest assured, these people, they're scared. Well, I suppose if that is the goal, um, then that sounds like you've and, achieved it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and, and the last thing, of course, we realized is that to truly make people afraid, sometimes we gotta give them some pain. Broadcast every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m.
The Lump and Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.